Hey everybody, this is Daisha. You are about to listen to a classical classroom featuring pianist Joel Fan, who is an awesome guy. He was joining us from my galaxy far, far away, which you can kind of hear in the audio. It's a little bit different than what you're accustomed to hearing on the show, so just a heads up about that. By the way, if you're listening to us, you're probably listening to us from somewhere that podcasts are available. A lot of you I know listen from iTunes, which has recently changed its format. You apparently have to subscribe to the show to be able to access all of our shows, so make sure if you would like to access all of the Classical Classrooms forever and ever, subscribe to us on iTunes rather than just listening. Wherever you're listening from, make sure to rate and review us because it makes us super happy and um, it's an awesome thing to do. Anyway, that's it from me. Enjoy the show. My name is Daisha Clay. I'm the audio librarian here at Classical 91.7. While I'm a real librarian, I have a deep, dark secret. I know very little about classical music. I grew up listening to rock, and I know something about jazz, but when it comes to classical, but I really want to learn. So, every week on this show, a classical music expert will give me a piece of classical music they think I should know, and then we'll discuss it. Come learn with me in the Classical Classroom. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Classical Classroom. I'm Daisha Clay, and here with me today is pianist Joel Fan. He is both a soloist and a recitalist. He studied at Juilliard, Harvard, Peabody, and Johns Hopkins, like basically all of the big schools. He's uh, played with orchestras all over the world, like the New York Philharmonic and the London Sinfonietta. And he's played recitals on four continents. He's worked with cellist Yo-Yo Ma. He's been on Good Morning America and Late Night with David Letterman. He's covered the whole day. He's uh, worked with chamber groups like the Shanghai Quartet and the Amani Winds. And his latest CD, which is on reference recordings, is called Dances for Piano and Orchestra. Joel Fan, welcome to the Classical Classroom. Hi, it's great to be here. <laughs> so what are you going to be teaching me about today? Well, let's see. I, I went through a whole list of topics, and I think that we should talk about classical dance music. I think that's a great idea. I, I'm, I, you know, so when I think of dance music, I think of like thump-a-thump-a, dance club, strobe lights, but mm. this is not the kind of dancing music that you are talking about. <laughs> Right. We're not talking about like house music where it's just sort of like, you know, repetitive beats and something yeah. like that. But actually there was a similarity there. You know, why is it dance music? Mm-hmm. It, you know, it's dance music because it has a regular rhythm. Yeah. And, and it's because, and I've, I kind of came up with a definition of good rhythm and, and it's kind of like when you have good rhythm, you can kind of predict where the next beat's going to be. Uh-huh. Right. And so like you think about all that dance music in clubs, it's like, you know, it's like boom, 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 boom. Right? Right. And you can clap your hands to it or, or, you know, you can, you know, your body knows when the next beat is going to be. It's not like it's random. Right? right. It's very regular. And if you have a, if you have a regular pattern like that, then you can do syncopations against it. Right. And you, mm-hmm. do you know what a syncopation is? No, I don't. What is that? So, okay. So let's say you have like a, a you know, a regular beat, like a boom, 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 mm-hmm. boom. And then the syncopation would be like the off beat, what's called, you know, and it's like this boom, boom, 
Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> well, I've never done it before. That's, that's, I hope that sounded okay. That's good. <laughs> yeah. So, so that it's like the, the little offbeat and, and, and that's the syncopation against the, the, the main beat. And, and you're going to hear that in all kinds of dance music yeah. and not just dance music from today, but also, you know, dance music from, from ages ago. And so, you know, dance has been around for, since probably at the beginning of time. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, and anytime you have rhythm and, and a beat and, percussion you're going to have people trying to move to it yeah. and uh if you look back even in classical music at the times of bach for example bach wrote all these wonderful works and but a lot of the works that he wrote were actually dance forms really you know you might have like and they were dance dances in, in german the allemand the bore the courant mm-hmm. you know these were all dances and this use of dance is is seen in Many, many composers, you know, many composers write waltzes. Yeah. You know, Chopin has a very famous set of waltzes, and Brahms has waltzes. In in different larger forms, you might have a part that sounds like a waltz. And I can think of different sonatas by great composers, mm-hmm. like Chopin and by Beethoven, where, you know, you might have like a waltz or, or thing, thing, uh, something that sounds like inspired by a waltz. These composers that you're talking about were the popular music of their day. And I'm guessing, I don't know, maybe you can can correct me, but but like that they were composing music for people at that time to dance to. That's literally what they were doing. Yes, exactly. And and again, a classic dance like I don't know off the top of my head what the genealogy of the waltz is, mm-hmm. but you know, um moving your feet and hands in three, for example. So a waltz is generally done in three. You'll hear like a one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, right. three, one, two, three. That's like a rhythmic signature of a waltz. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's something which has been around for a very, very long time. Yeah, I actually heard something on the radio where they were giving all of these examples of the waltz throughout history, including like Jimi Hendrix and... It's this like, sort of pervasive rhythmic structure that's been around forever and still is being used today in like popular music, all kinds of music. I think that's so. Crazy. Oh yeah, I, actually, one of my favorite waltzes of all time is actually by Bill Evans, uh-huh. the, the great jazz pianist. Yeah. And he has a very famous waltz called Waltz for Debbie, mm-hmm. which is you know again the same one two three one two three one two three. You know, my new album is called Dances for Piano and Orchestra, and so it is all about, you know, these dance forms. And so this would be the Sanson Wedding Cake, mm-hmm. and, and that is actually a, a waltz. Okay. And it is it is in that classic one, two, three rhythm. But then you, you will hear different syncopations against it, but it's a very, very fast waltz. You've got to be a great dancer to dance in this one. <laughs> listening to this maybe you can tell me under what circumstances did people dance 
to this kind of music? I mean, were these parties we're talking about? Are these like, you know, did they go to the club at the time? Like, what did that look like? And who were these people? Well, you know, Saint-Saëns uh, is a, a French composer, and, and he wrote his music in, in the middle of the 1800s. Mm-hmm. You know, it's important to remember that as wired as we are today with constant iPhone stimulation, you know, back 200 years ago or 150 years ago even, you know, they weren't, there was no TV still. Mm-hmm. I think it was pre-electricity. Things were still done by candlelight. And so your main entertainment was instruments that didn't have any kind of electricity. (laughs) Actually, it's funny. That's one of the reasons why I love the piano so much. It's like this powerful instrument and you don't have to plug it in anywhere. Yeah. And, um, but the same thing with all instruments for orchestra, you know, they're human, human powered. So you have all these wonderful instruments creating these sounds and creating these stories. And the piano by itself is very versatile because you can party with a piano, with a single pianist and, dance to it and, and that's how uh, all this music was was performed is performed in a salon of a aristocrat and you might have just a party around it or some kind of a concert and a party and and, mm-hmm. and, and this music would, would be used and, and people would certainly um, I, I don't know particularly if they actually dance to it simultaneously with the performance but certainly I, I think that that's what it was it was written for in mind are we talking like a chamber orchestra a smaller chamber group yes this like, this piece the Saint-Saëns wedding cake is is certainly a appropriate with with a chamber ensemble and, and a pianist mm-hmm. doesn't actually have any any uh, woodwinds or percussion or brass this is a purely string orchestra Another thing I was curious about is I know that a lot of composers typically were sort of expected and and sort of to a degree still are expected to write certain types of music. For example, uh, a symphony. Was writing dance music one of those things that was sort of expected of composers or was this, was it just something they did for fun was it i think that composers are always looking to express themselves in different forms and and you know you have to remember that whenever composers wrote music it was always a time of innovation right and you know the greatest composers that we know of today mozart beethoven chopin list you know they were all considered groundbreaking innovators in, in their day right but they would either take a form that was already known and try to extend it mm-hmm. for example beethoven took the the sonata form and he created through 32 magnificent piano sonatas basically things like waltzes polonaises krakowiak's you know these are all typical dance forms of the time and and composers would, would certainly use these to inspire themselves. Hmm. But but I, I think that they, you know, the greatest composers never were satisfied, I think, with just, you know, doing something um, the way other people were doing it. They were always trying to do something new. And I think right. that's that's what's so 
wonderful about great classical music. The the innovation. The innovation at the time. And and again, we listened to it and we were like, oh, I've heard that before, right? Or that's been recorded before. But you have to remember at the time how fresh and unique this music was. Right. And that's actually, as a performer, performing this music, that's actually your, your goal is to bring back that freshness and, and that energy. to another track from your CD. I'm kind of interested in talking about the particular pieces that you chose for the CD. Oh, you know, I think we should listen to the, the Chopin Krakowiak because I think that's a wonderful contrast. And, and this is a different type of a dance. It's, it's in two as opposed to in three. Now, the Krakowiak starts with an, a slow, dreamy introduction, but then as it gets into it, you're really going to hear the, the sort of, you know, you can imagine the crowd jumping up and down and, and just having a grand old time. Mm -hmm. So this is the slow, dreamy introduction. Sort of setting the stage. Yes, setting the stage. This is the, you know, the cadenza, and now here's the dance coming up. You know what that slow sort of setting the stage intro that reminds me of so much pop music yeah. you, you know like where it's got this sort of deceptively slow beginning like once I was afraid I was petrified yes. and then the music like kicks in <laughs> that's right yeah, yeah exactly yeah and then everybody starts jumping up and down that's so cool yeah so you see how upbeat this is you know, uh-huh. but it is clearly in two, right? Mm-hmm. One, two, one, two, one, two, one. And what kind of dance was this? This is called a Krakowiak. Okay. Is that like Polish or? It was actually one of the national dances of, of Chopin. Okay. Chopin was Polish. Oh, Very I got Polish. it right. And, I said Polish. That's yes. <laughs> and he was a true nationalist. He was a big patriot, Polish patriot. And, and he wrote the Krakowiak as, as one of his dances. And he did use this dance in other works as well. 
Okay. In particular, the last movement of Chopin's first piano concerto is also a Krakowiak. It's a dance form he used, and, and as, a, as we said before, he also did waltzes and polonaises as, as other, probably even more well-known dance forms. Hmm. It's a very upbeat dance, and, and it's a lot of joy in it. And, and, you know, you could see it kind of after some kind of rousing celebration. Yeah, uh, producer Todd is currently getting down in the studio. <laughs> Knee slapping? Yeah. You know what I think is unique about the the kind of music that we're talking about today is that it seems unlike other forms of classical music that, that I've talked with people about, that this was sort of functional music. Uh, <laughs> like, well, you know, classical music by itself, I mean, there, there were always two camps. The camp number one was that it should exist by itself, right? Uh-huh. It's just pure abstract sound. It doesn't need a, an external storyline. Right. And this is, you know, a view that Brahms, for example, had. Now, um, at the time of the Romantics, when you have Liszt and Wagner, they had a different point of view. And their point of view was that music should actually tell another story hmm. that was external to the music. And Liszt was one of the big pioneers in, in terms of this. And actually, that, that would actually bring us to another piece on my album, which is, it's actually a Polonaise okay. by Weber, initially written by Weber, but then orchestrated by Liszt oh. into into a, like a very virtuosic piano concerto type of form. That's actually a great segue. Okay, let's hear that one. And it also starts with a slow, virtuosic introduction. Very dramatic. very dramatic yeah this was this was Liszt's creation you know and he would you know really showing off the piano what can do Uh would he actually like go out to parties and play this music I mean I know he was he was all the rage back in his yeah, he day. was he was like the Jimi Hendrix of his day, or maybe even Elvis Presley. <laughs> yeah, like listomania was an actual thing. Yeah, and and I mean, and again, it's not just because he was a great pianist, but he was a, a real great innovator. Uh-huh. You know, he created music that was obviously never heard before, mm-hmm. and and uh, it's to, essentially extended the boundaries of the piano. And I, I want you to keep on listening because you're going to hear in this cadenza, it's okay. so virtuosic that that it's. It shows you why the audiences would go wild.
was cool. <laughs> yeah, so that was the, the virtuosic introduction, and now here's the Polonaise. So I'm interested in what what drew you toward these particular pieces. It seems like they're from a lot of different time periods, and I mean, clearly they're they're sort of shared characteristic is that is that they're it's dance music. But why dance music? Well, I, you know, I've always been drawn to to music that that is accessible and yet is really well written and, and can show off you know the the abilities of the piano, and so. You know, I I think that when this project came together, it was really, really a great combination of, of things. You know, we have great music. The Krokoviak that we heard, for example, by Chopin is rarely, rarely played. It it's just an opportunity to to bring together uh, wonderful music and engage people in in a new way. It's it's great. It's very like it's very lively. You know, it's, it's yes, definitely not not a uh, something to nap to. <laughs> and actually, talk about lively. I, I think we should talk about another dance, and that's the tarantella. Oh yes, I like the name of that. Yeah, tell me tarantella. about tarantella. It sounds like a spider, but it's actually, in a way, you listen to a tarantella, and it, it's very, it's a very fast dance. It's also in three. Okay. The particular tarantella that we have recorded here was actually used by George Balanchine, the great choreographer, to create um, a, a wonderful ballet called that he called Grand Tarantella, mm-hmm. which is very difficult for the dancers as well. And so it's a very lively, upbeat, sinuous, mm-hmm. you know, the kind of the way a spider might crawl. Yeah. You kind of feel that. And it's, it's just exciting to listen to. tambourine-like instrument work in there. Absolutely, yeah. The tambourine is big here. It seems to me, 
I'm, I'm guessing that these more formal dance forms grew up out of more informal settings, parties, think the dances became sort of formalized over time, and then they, they probably moved on to more upper-class settings. And I'm wondering, did the music evolve with the dance forms, or did the dance forms happen and then the music sort of glommed onto that? Or did the music come first, and then people dance started decided to dance to it? That too. You know, that, that's actually a, a good good question. I am not an expert in, in the dance history, but I I would imagine that you know it's hard to dance without music. <laughs> and uh, right. although, although you can you can move, but it, again, it's it's all about the regular beat, and it's yeah. about having that beat come repeatedly that that you can decide to move your body in different ways and so yeah. probably it started with percussion right the the root of all music is is just having someone bang a stick on a rock right <laughs> you know and, and just sort of different rhythms and come, can come from that and, and i think that's you know you don't really need even need to have a melody to, to start dancing right right True. and so i think that's if you boil it down to the elements it just starts with the rhythm mm-hmm Another thing I'm wondering is, are there contemporary composers who are composing classical dance music? I would say that, you know, contemporary composers are are really no different from composers from, you know, 200 years ago. You know, they're also today trying to create something that's new, innovative, Mm -hmm. that will help them spread their reputation and their name. And and they don't want to do what's been done before. They're they're trying to create something that expresses their voice. But how you express your voice is not just about making something up arbitrary. A lot of times you are inspired by the past and, and mm-hmm. by what already exists. And so these are, you know, classic forms that, that will, you know, always be, I think, a part of musical construction. One day someone will compose for the hammer dance. <laughs> <laughs> I Actually, the funny thing about art and music is that almost any concept you might want to think of that you can imagine someone will have either tried it or be trying it or will try it in the future so there's almost nothing you can say that would sound would sound ridiculous (laughs) or maybe it would sound ridiculous but maybe in in 100 years it won't eventually it'll be formalized eventually formalized and eventually people will get tired of it like wow that was so that was so 50 years ago (laughs) but to us we haven't heard of it yet joel fan this has been such a cool conversation i i think this is such a unique form of classical music, and and you've taught me a lot about it today. So thank you very much for coming on and talking to me about it. Oh, thank you so much. It was really great to, to you know talk about this music and feel inspired. Thanks a lot, and we hope you'll come back to the classical classroom sometime when you have a burning desire to teach something else. Oh, great. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Joel. Thank you. All right, everybody, that does it for this episode of Classical Classroom. For more Classroom, go to houstonpublicmedia.org slash classroom. You can also find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, etc. Follow us on Twitter and Tumblr. Email me at dclay at houstonpublicmedia.org. Don't forget to rate and review us because it is the excellent thing to do. Thanks today to audio producer Todd 
pod god Holslander for twiddling knobs. Thanks to program director Sinjin Flynn for smelling like teen spirit. Thanks to Mark DeClaudio for his piercing eyeliner-ringed Robert Smith eyes. Thanks to Joel Fan for being here today. Thanks to me for saying words. And thanks to you for listening. We'll catch you next time.